Hi everyone, Randy Page here. It's been four and a half months since our last episode, so before we get into the next one, this might be a good time for a quick refresher, just in case some of the details are a little fuzzy. If you just finished listening to the first four episodes, you're probably not going to need this, but for everyone else, here we go. So I had to drop her off between 120 and 130. No, no, no. Oh, God, no. What, what was she wearing? I'm innocent. Kimberly Long would tell you her nightmare began one Sunday in October of 2003. Kimberly and her boyfriend Ozzy Condi spent the afternoon on Ozzy's motorcycle, bouncing from one bar to another with a group of friends. I remember Ozzy rode really slow because he's a beginner, so. That's one of those friends, a biker named Jeff Dills, talking to police after the murder. He would prove to be a critical witness in what happened next. After a full day and night of bar hopping, Ozzy, Kimberly, Jeff Dills, and a couple of other friends ended up in front of Kim and Ozzy's house, and that's when Kim and Ozzy got into a loud argument. She started hitting him with uh, her helmet. She like swung it at him a couple times, and he just like went like this, and it like hit him on the shoulder and stuff. And he had his big motorcycle jacket on, so I know it wasn't bothering him. Mm -hmm. you know? Kimberly jumped on the back of Jeff Dill's motorcycle, and the two rode to his house. Kimberly told police Dills gave her a ride home at about 2 in the morning, that she walked in, found Ozzy unconscious and bloody on their couch, and then she said she ran to the kitchen, grabbed the phone, and she called 911. But Dills told police he dropped Kim off about 40 minutes before she called 911. I had to drop her off between 120 and 130. Police and prosecutors concluded that gave Kim plenty of time to beat Ozzy to death, then clean up, get rid of the murder weapon, and call 911. Dill's timeline was critical to the prosecution because there was no physical evidence linking Kimberly to the crime. Here's what one of the jurors had to say about that. The prosecutor's case hung only on the timeline. They didn't offer any evidence on, you know, with regard to murder weapon. Uh, really, the motive was even thin. I mean, just an argument in a bar, and you're going to kill your boyfriend. Then the unexpected happened. Before Dills could testify at Kim's murder trial, he died in a motorcycle accident. So the jury never got a chance to see him on the witness stand or for Kimberly's defense attorney to cross-examine him. But based largely on Dill's timeline, Kimberly Long was convicted of second-degree murder and she was sentenced to 15 years to life in state prison. Years later, Kimberly Long's attorneys found explosive evidence the jury never had a chance to see evidence that could have blown the prosecution's case wide open. What, what was she wearing? 
It was a videotaped police interview with Jeff Dills. Mm -hmm. Just want to clear up some things. In the scratchy, colorless video, Dills describes the clothes Kimberly was wearing when he dropped her off on the night of the murder. She was wearing um, a black t-shirt that had some designs on thinking biker or rock and roll stuff or something. And what I remember was like little rings, chain, like a chain that looked like a chain that was like part of the shirt. And she had a purse that had little rings that matched that. And she was wearing blue jeans, kind of low-rider blue jeans. And um, I think she had a black belt on. Dills is describing in detail the very same clothes Kimberly was wearing when police arrived at the scene of the murder that night. Clothes that were tested by police and had no blood on them. So could Kimberly Long have beaten Ozzy to death? Splattering blood in a 360-degree circle on all of the walls, the floor, the TV set, the curtains, the blinds, and the furniture, but not get a speck of blood on her clothes, her face, or her hair? No, absolutely not. That's the foreman of the jury that convicted her, Stephen Roberge. The amount of blood that was at the, at the scene was overwhelming, and it was in every direction, and uh, there's no way. I showed him the video the jury never had a chance to see. Video of Dills telling police what Kimberly was wearing when he dropped her off, clothes that had no blood on them. And the foreman was blown away. It proves that she physically herself did not murder Ozzy. As foreman of this jury, if you'd seen this evidence, what would have been your verdict? Uh, not guilty. No question? No question. I also showed Dill's statement to another juror, Arnie White. Based on the clothing, she couldn't have done it. Hey, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning. The judge who presided over Kimberly's murder trial didn't know about Dill's statement about her clothes either, and when he found out, he was livid. Judge Patrick Majors later said in open court, The court finds the issue of whether petitioner changed her clothes is a significant issue in this case. If petitioner did not change her clothes, there is a reasonable inference that from the evidence that she is not the killer. The judge's conclusion? Considering all the evidence, the court finds it highly unlikely that the petitioner committed the crime. Then Judge Majors reversed Kimberly's murder conviction and set her free. But her case wasn't over yet. Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron appealed Judge Major's ruling, and two years later, an appellate court reinstated Kimberly's conviction and set the wheels in motion to send her back to prison. Then this past August, the California Supreme Court weighed in, saying it wants to make a decision in this case too, so everything is now on hold. In the meantime, Kimberly's out on bail while she waits for word from the state Supreme Court. Where does Kimberly's case stand right now? Here's California Innocence Project director Justin Brooks. So now Kimberly is, you know, <laughs> it's late at night and she's in the criminal justice casino trying to figure out what she can do to save her life. Coming up in episode five, a startling ruling from a superior court judge. It's just another indication we got an innocent person here, and it meant so much to her. A former juror examines the inmate's description of Ozzy's murder in light of what neighbors had to say at the trial. It more plausibly fits the neighbor's 
accounts of the noise and the commotion and the motorcycles and the car alarms and all those things. Kimberly Long has an emotional message for Ozzy's family. I'm sorry. A mother's dream comes true. It was the best 12 days of my life. And nightmares return. I'm tired of waking up and remembering it's not over yet. Flawed Justice is produced by Randy Page and edited by Joel Fallon and Richard Alvarez. Original theme and music composed and performed by Randy Page. Our website is flawedjustice.com. That's where you can go if you'd like to get a look at the interviews, police interrogations, crime scene photos, and documents on the case. And if you have any information on the case, or if you'd like to share your comments, you can contact me directly through the website. I'd love to hear from you. Again, that's flawedjustice.com. Special thanks to Tara Feinstone, executive producer of this podcast and vice president and news director of CBS2 KCAL 9, and B.J. Dahl, Flawed Justice associate producer and director of digital content. And thanks to the folks at CBS in Los Angeles, including president and general manager Steve Malden, assistant news director Jennifer Pierce, managing editor Paul Button, operations manager Patrick Givens, and producer Jerry Constant. Flawed Justice is a production of CBS Los Angeles and KCBS-TV. Thanks for listening.